0: So, for the past six weeks, and even today, we want to answer the question, who needs Christmas? And the book of the prophet Micah answers this question by showing us the depravity of humankind, how we've spiraled into the depths of our sin, but it also shows us the hope of salvation that is to come. So as a way of just closing off the series, I'll give us a short recap as to what's happened throughout the six weeks and to have a real appreciation for what Micah says in chapter seven. So what we have to remember about this book is that Micah is writing on behalf of God. He's writing as thus says the Lord. And so he does this by pointing out two things. He says first that he's accusing Israel of its idolatrous ways and he brings judgment upon them from the Lord. And the second thing that he does, he brings a message of hope that will come after the judgment. So these two factors of accusation and judgment and also of a hope of message are interwoven throughout these chapters in the book of Micah. So... Starting in chapters 1 and 2, Micah writes that God will appear to his people to pronounce judgment upon them by throwing them into exile because of over 500 years of their rebellion against him. So what he does, he points out the injustice ways that the way that the leaders have been behaving towards their people by stealing from the poor and that the religious leaders even... To put it in better words, is that they profit from proclaiming God's word. They're actually selling the gospel. And therefore, God's judgment is upon him, is upon them actually. But after this, Micah writes a word of hope. He says that after the exile, God will restore himself as their king that he will bring them back to himself, that he will treat them like the good shepherd, that he will rescue them and he will be their king again. And in chapters 3 and 4, we are told that the leaders and the religious leaders run the land through their corruption by taking bribes and illegally stealing land from the poor and from the marginalized in order to profit the rich, which is clearly against The law of Moses. So God will judge them. He will judge them by them being ultimately conquered by the Babylonians. And after this message of accusation and judgment, Micah again presents a word of hope. He says that after this, even when Jerusalem is destroyed, God will restore a new Jerusalem, a better Jerusalem, where not only the Israelites will come into the Lord, but all nations will come to him. That he will make a better Jerusalem, where all will come and praise him, and he will restore all creation. And then... In chapters 5 and 6, we return to this pattern of him reporting of Israelites, of the Israelites and the leaders unjust just economic practices, where how their economic practices are actually destroying the people and destroying the land. That even in the midst of him proclaiming this judgment, we see this very famous line from Micah, uh, Micah 6 verse 8. Where God says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is what God required of his people then. And this is exactly what God requires of his people right now. So now this leads us to the seventh and final chapter of Micah where Micah gives a short synopsis of what's happened in the past six chapters and showing the depravity that humans have led themselves due to their sin. But there's also a message of hope, of hope of salvation that is to come. Let me pray for us. Lord, be with us this this morning. May we be edified by your word may you be glorified by your word and may your enemies be terrified by the preaching of your word father speak through me this morning and speak in my heart amen let me just grab a glass of water christmas is amazing right it's amazing right You can respond if you want to respond. You're very free to respond. (laughs) Christmas is amazing. And the one thing that's so amazing about Christmas is that, I guess, if not all of us, we get Christmas gifts, right? But me, growing up in the township, we got something different. We didn't get your Christmas gifts packed in a nice little present. No, 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 no. We got something different. We got Christmas clothes. And when I say Christmas clothes I don't mean a t-shirt or a jersey that has like reindeer or Santa Claus or I don't know a Christmas tree on it no Christmas clothes are like brand new clothes like you got brand new sneakers brand new trousers brand new shirts the girls also got brand new skirts or whatever they wanted it was something so different but then when I look as to how I experienced Christmas and how my white and Indian friends experienced Christmas, it was so different. Like my white and Indian friends would get out cookies and milk and put them by the Christmas tree. And then sometimes they even sleep right next to their presents until Christmas. But I did not have that. I actually laid out my Christmas clothes right next to me in my bed and I slept completely still because I didn't want to ruin my clothes. And I had a longing to be like, yo, I want to wear these clothes tomorrow because I want to experience them. And what I want to show through this is that in me having my Christmas clothes and my friends having their Christmas presents, we both had a longing. We both wanted to experience the next day. We both wanted to experience our presents. But the truth of the matter is Christmas clothes and presents are nice, right? But they are not like the ultimate gift that you and I can receive, which is Jesus Christ, that he is the better gift that anyone can receive and enjoy. So our Christmas should not be centered just around presents, just around family, but our Christmas should be centered around Christ. It should be centered as longing for his salvation, longing for his return, because that's exactly what Christmas is about. Now in Micah's day, they had a different longing because of what was happening around them. That the walls of society were crumbling because they had turned away from the Lord and they were yearning and longing for the Messiah. And so this morning, I want to unpack and show us this longing and the three categories. I'm not sure if they come up on the screen. So the first one is our rebellion. When people turn away from God, they turn to misery. The second thing is our response. When hurting people hope in God by repenting, they see and receive his salvation. The third thing is our Redeemer, our hope found in God. So if you can click or open your Bibles to Micah 7 verses 1 to 6. Because in these first six chapters, I want to pull out five things that expose to us our sin. That expose to us the ramifications of what sin has done in people and what it's done to the world. So the first thing that I want to pull out Is that when people turn from God, they turn to fruitlessness and misery. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. It reads, I'll be reading from the ESV. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered. As when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat. No first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright from mankind. Micah here cries out in anguish, and he cries out in discouragement, because when he looks at the state of Israel, he sees no one upright. That his discouragement, he compares it to when a person goes to a fruit or a vineyard, during the harvest time, carrying a basket, expecting to reap some fruit, but returns home with an empty basket. And we want to ask ourselves why, again, Micah is discouraged. He's discouraged because when he looks upon the land, there is no one righteous. There is no righteous person in Israel. But the nation that was supposed to be God's own position has turned from what is good. That they have turned from what God has defined as good and they have made good from themselves. That they see that what I like, what I want to get, what I want to pursue is from my own heart and what God says. As Paul says, even in Romans 1 verse 23, that they were claiming to be wise, they became fools that they exchanged the glory of the infinite God for the glory of idols that they've made for themselves. That when even God visits this land, he sees his people. He sees his people there in Israel and there is nothing to get. There is nothing to collect. And the truth of the matter is a life lived apart from God is a barren and unsatisfied love. It is a life of wanting and trying, but never being fulfilled. The second thing, which is the effect of turning away from God, is a lack of friendship. Let's read the second part of verse 2. They all lie in wait, and each hunts each other with a net. Notice that it says, They lie in wait and each hunt each other with a net. That this society was a predatory society. That the Israelites were to treat each other with love and kindness as brothers and sisters that were supposed to have an affection for each other. But this society that we read here in Micah is a society that is governed and filled by violence and cruelty and no care for justice. That things had gotten so bad. And the sad thing is that we see in Micah is that we see it even now at present day. That you can't even walk the streets of Hillbrow without feeling afraid. That even here in Parkhurst, not to scare anyone, but we've had incidents. We were in church and someone's car's been stolen where you can't even take a walk at 9 p.m. at night because you're afraid for your own life. But when you look upon your own friends, your own relations, you feel as if you have to hide yourself. You feel as if you cannot be naked, vulnerable with your friends because we live in a world that is predatory, where we hunt for each other, where you're supposed to love, but we are governed by cruelty. By pain. The third thing that we see as an effect of sin is a life lacking fidelity. It is a life of no faithful loyalty that should be part of the fabric of society. That when people turn away from God, they also turn away from each other. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. I'll be reading from the HCSB. Both hands are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful man communicates his desires, they plot it together. And Micah uses an illustration here that he says, the best of them is like a briar. The most upright is worse than a hedge of thorns. Funny thing is, I didn't know how to pronounce the word briar. I said it was bria, but thank you, Courtney. Um, and so here... We get a picture of the powerful in society being corrupted by their power. That from the famous quote that says, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That instead of smelling like roses, roses that have a fragrant smell of righteousness, the leaders in Israel are thorny. That the leaders in the judicial system, the judges, the kings, are the ones who are corrupted by their own power. That the best in society, the people who are upright, are the ones who actually champion evil. Are the ones that come together and they plot together to do what is evil before the eyes of the Lord. But how sad is it that the state of Israel had gotten so bad that the the leaders were drunk with power. That it was the norm to even receive and demand a bribe. And isn't that too familiar for some of us? That when you go to do your license, you know what's coming. You know that they're going to ask for a brown envelope. That when you're closing off a business deal, you slip something into the contract, into the T's and C's. That we are the same as these leaders, that those who are to protect what is good, the governors, the kings, the keepers of the law, who are supposed to be the most upstanding citizens, who are supposed to guard the law that God has given to Moses, are the ones who actually come together and they plot to do what is evil before God's eyes. And we see this very thing even in our society. Our previous president, Jacob Zuma, stepped down because of Corruption. And right now, in America, what's happening? Donald Trump is being impeached. The ones who are supposed to be upstanding in society are the ones that are championing what is evil. And it, and he, Michael here describes the leaders as if they're like a briar. And as I said, I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't even know what a briar is. And some of you are giving me blank stares when I say briar because I'm sure you also don't know what it means. So let me give us a short illustration as to what a briar is. Growing up, I used to play a game called Mokoko. I'm getting more blank stairs. It's, it's like black Mampadile. Okay, more blank stairs. It's, it's like playing hide-and-go-seek, basically. So we used to play Mokoko in an open field. In my neighborhood. And the field is where like, grass and plants are just growing very wild over there. And in the midst of the plants and the grass, you'd find a bush of blackjacks. You know what blackjacks are? Those small black things that just stick to you. So, as when we were playing Mokoko, you would not want to step into a bush of blackjacks. That... <laughs> like the way that we didn't even want to step into a bush of blackjacks, we gave them a nickname, we called them Amapoyisa, which means the police. Hang on, let me describe. We call them the police because when they get a hold of you, they literally arrest you. It's like when they're in you, they're stuck to you and they're not letting you go because they're everywhere. And without fail, when we played Mokoko, when we played Hide and Go Seek, we'll always hear someone say, Time out, time out. I'm not playing anymore. I've got blackjacks all over me. I'm so, I'm so, so, what Micah says here is that the leaders were like Ama They were like blackjacks. But you wouldn't want to run into them. But when you run into them, they will hurt you. They were being plain, that you wouldn't want to be entangled with them because when you're entangled with them, they will hurt you and they will suck you dry. And that's what it means for these leaders to be like briars. And this is what happens when a society turns away from God. And when they are ruled by their sin, That the powerful abuse their power by punishing and lording it over the weak. And this is exactly what our capitalist society encourages us to do. That I have to look for my own desires, for my own needs at the expense of others. And the fourth thing that happens when we turn away from God is we lose spiritual foresight. Let's look at verse 4b. It says, The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Now the watchman was supposed to stand on top of the wall and they were supposed to look for two things. Either a messenger bringing some type of news or of the approaching enemy. Now this has come. But this is the day when the Lord actually visits them. But because they have turned away from him, they are blind towards him. They don't recognize him. They don't see him. And when the Lord is coming and bringing his salvation, they end up being confused. And this is exactly what happens when we turn away from the Lord. We lose spiritual foresight. But we can't even recognize him. And this is exactly what happened when Jesus arrived in Israel, that even his own people did not recognize him. And the fifth and final thing that we notice is that when people turn away from God, they turn away from family. Direct your eyes to verses 5 and 6. It says, Put no trust in the neighbor, Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies of men of his own home. Friends, it's rough when the person that you share your bed with is also the person looking at your neck. That you don't have to go far to meet your enemies because your enemies are the people who greet you at the breakfast table. That there is no sense of blood is thicker than water. There is no sense of shared love, warmth, a sense of feeling like you belong because the environment is filled with the stench of animosity. That when we turn away from God, we actually turn towards sin. Sin. And the effects of this are not only felt in the broader society, but they take root in even our families. That warm relationships of intimacy, of family, of friends, of lovers are corrupted to such a point. It's no wonder that when Micah starts this chapter, he says, woe is me. Because we see how Israel is so deprived. How Israel has spiraled so much into their sin. That these people needed Christmas. Because they have turned away from God. That people had turned away from God. From Adam's time. And Micah's time. And also in our time. And this is why we all need Christmas. That we were never meant to live apart from God, but to live for him. And now this leads us to our second section, our response. When hurting people hope in God by repenting, they see and receive his salvation. Our response when God shows us our sin is one of repentance, because repentance is an act of turning away from your sin and turning towards God. Let's look at verse 7 and verse 8. It says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. This is why Christmas is the most significant point in all human history, how when all seemed bleak, that when the chips were down, that when we could not see a light at the end of the tunnel, we hear this voice, but God, as we sang this morning, in Christ alone, my hope is found. This is exactly who Jesus is, that Jesus steps into our mess and becomes our hope. That he is the one who shines a light into our hopeless situations. That he is our salvation that Micah also believed in this. With all the corruption, murder, violence, idolatrousness that was happening all around him. He did not turn inward, but he looked upon God. That he places his faith in the God of his ancestors. And he lives in two seemingly contrasting states of misery, and of hope. Like when Job, when God took away everything from him and everything was lost in his life, that even his wife, his own wife, who was supposed to be bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, said to him, curse God, because clearly he doesn't care. That in the midst of his darkest and most loneliest time, Job still placed his faith in God. That that Job continued to place his hope in the God of his salvation. And if you're here, and you know what misery is, that that the misery that Job and Micah felt describes you, I want to gently ask you if you can trace your hopelessness your hopeless misery to a root cause. That it might be traced to you having turned away from God. That you haven't turned away from the Father. That you are trying to live a life apart from God. Whether you don't know God this morning, or you do have a relationship with him. And you're living and feeling a life of misery and pain. I want to encourage you, don't ignore this. But we must recognize what pain and misery are. That they are indicators. Like when you're walking in the night and you stub your toe against a table and the signal goes to your, your brain about pain and that makes you utter word that is very unrighteous. It's the same thing here. But when you look at your spiritual life, And you feel a sharp blast of pain. That indicates that something is wrong. That indicates that you might be living a life apart from the Lord. A life of misery because you have drifted from God. You have turned away from Him. But thank God that He shows us our sin. And here's a question for us. Can we be miserable and hopeful at the same time, how do we acknowledge our pain without being hopeless? And how do we hope without ignoring our pain? The good news is that this is possible, that you can be a hurting and a hopeful person. And Micah shows that shows us this that he is a person that was hurting and hopeful at the same time. That in verse 7 and 8. And in verse 1, he goes, woe is me. But then he turns and says, as for me, I will look to the God of my salvation. He lived in the state that Israel was in, of misery, of pain. But in the midst of that, he still hoped in God. But Micah is kind of like David. If you've read the Psalms, uh, David is a bit strange. Because on one page... He writes, Lord, I praise you. I love you. You've lifted your countenance upon me. Then you flip the page. It's like, God, you have forsaken me. God, you have lost me. God, you are not here with me. And what we have to learn from Micah and from David is that here they were honest. They were honest with themselves. They were honest with what was going on inside of them. But I want to encourage you to also be honest To God about where you are. Be like David. Be like Micah. Lament. Give your pain towards him. Say to him. I am feeling misery. Lord where are you? But I also want to encourage you. To be honest to yourself. About who God is. That he is a good father. That there is hope. And peace in his name. That he is the God of our salvation. That he hears our cries. That he doesn't sit back. But he steps in and acts. That his speaking is he's doing. That he spoke the universe into existence. Therefore his words can be trusted. That his words do hold true. That when he promises he will never leave you nor forsake you. It's true. That when he promises That his salvation is open and available to you. It's true. And this is what Christmas is about. God entering our mess. God entering this morally corrupt world. That us sinning against him. Having turned away from him. Our inability to turn towards him. Because we are all born and dead in sin. And that only God can make us turn Towards God. And this is Jesus stepping in. This is Jesus coming into our mess. This is Jesus coming into our morally corrupt world. That He shines His light into our darkness. And the part of His life is giving us the gift of repentance. That to continually repent of our sins. And place our faith in Jesus. And in Micah from here in verse 7. He personifies himself as if he is Israel. They acknowledge their sin. They acknowledge that they have turned away from God. Who is their salvation. Read here in verse 9. He says. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Because I have sinned against him. But now they turn towards God. They repent. They've turned from their self-sufficiency. And this is what I'm asking of us today also. That we turn away from our self-sufficiency. That when we see that we have so many resources. That we can live a life apart from God. That we turn away from our self-righteousness. That we make ourselves a standard that others have to live up to. And there's so much more that we have to repent of. That friends, you don't have to say a hex, tattoo triple six on your forehead and pledge allegiance to Satan to be God's enemy. No. All you have to do is live a life apart from God. That's what counts you as an enemy. To live a life absent of him. To live a life where the one made you in his image that you don't recognize him as your god that you live as if he doesn't exist but repentance is continually turning from your sin and turning towards god as paul says it is the putting off the old self and putting on the new self that the whole marks of Christianity is repenting from our sin and putting our faith in Christ. That we stop repenting when we start rebelling. And our third and last point our Redeemer, our hope found in Christ. What happens when we hope in Christ? I'd like us to direct our eyes to verses 18 and verse 19. It reads, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression from the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast our, all our sins into the depths of the sea. That we clearly see God's character here being put on display. That he is a loving and forgiving God. And therefore those who turn towards him are welcomed and put into his steadfast love. That they receive his love, that they receive his grace. And Micah sees this as shocking. And it should be shocking to all of us. And he even asks this question, who is a God like you? And he looks and sees how the people who are made in God's image are the very ones who rebelled against him. that have done what is evil in his sight. And even though they know God, they still continue to live in their wickedness. That Micah is right to ask, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. And what kind of a God is he? (laughs) He is a good judge. Because he has to punish sin. Verse 9 says in the CSB, because I have sinned against him, I must endure the Lord's rage. That he cannot leave sin unpunished because of his holiness. And because you and I were meant to be holy because he is holy. And that you and I don't live in a way that is holy because we are born in our sin. We are deserving of his wrath. Verse 9 continues to say that I must endure the Lord's rage until he argues my case and establishes justice for me. That here we also see that the Father is a good Father. That he sends his Savior. He sends a remnant who pleads his case. Who pleads our case on our behalf and justifies us before the Lord. You see, justice... And forgiveness go hand in hand. That Micah even says that the Lord will cast our sins to the depths of the sea. Have you ever lost something in the ocean? Have you ever thrown something that's very heavy in the ocean and it continues sinking and sinking and sinking until you don't see that thing anymore? That's exactly what God has done with our sins. That He has thrown them to the depths of the sea and He forgets all of them. That he is a good father, that he is a good judge, that he punishes sin but also provides a way of him meeting his justice, of him providing a way of escaping it. That he has given us a savior. He has given us Jesus to be the one to plead on our behalf, to plead our case before the father. And he throws our sins into the depths of the sea. In seeing God's character, we also witness what he does to his people. He also establishes a covenant with them, which is a binding agreement. That those who are forgiven, he calls them a people of his own possession. We see that in 1 Peter 2.9. That he brings his people into his grace. That his promises are true for us. That when he says he will never leave you nor forsake you. He never will. That we are sealed by by his promised Holy Spirit. That we are no longer called enemies. But we are called children of God. And all of this is true. Because of the coming Messiah. That Christ son of God. That even the name Micah who is a God like you. And this is the point of the book and the point of the gospel. That Christmas is a declaration of God's unique grace and kindness that he would come and make his grace available to us. Micah and the Israelites longed for the coming Messiah who will bring the salvation. Now today, if you're not a Christian, you have a longing in you that only God can satisfy. And if you are a Christian, this is why we need Christmas, because God, actually Jesus, is glorified, and that He will come back and glorify us. That we wait in longing for this day to come, when Christ comes back, because Christmas. Reminds us of a longing to be fulfilled, which only comes by faith in Jesus. And we are reminded that we have a longing for His return. Let me pray for us. Father, who is a God like you? Who is a God who passes over transgressions? Who sees our iniquity? who looks upon people made in his own image and rebel against them. That you, out of an act of your own love, an act of you getting your own glory, that you would give us a day of Christmas. That you would send a savior, one who is to come and condescend to this earth in the form of Of a baby. A baby who is born in a major. In a way that is weak. But father you show. Your strength in weakness. Even in sending Jesus Christ. That he might seem weak. But he is the one who will provide. And give strength. By trampling over sin. By trampling over Satan. And bringing away a forgiveness of sins. And that Lord, this is available for anyone who return from their sin and place their faith in you. Father, continue to show us our need for Christmas. Our need for you. That we are longing for your return. We are longing to be glorified as your son. Is glorified right now. Be with us father. Remind us. Of your presence. Remind us. Of who we are in you. That those who have placed their faith in you. Are no longer called enemies. But they are called children of God. They are called the people of your possession. They have been brought. Into your steadfast love. And your grace. Remind us, O Lord, of who we are. Remind us of who you are and why we long for Christmas. It is in your son's beautiful name I pray. Amen.